Welcome to season one of Cuéntame, Tell Me Their Story. Hi, my name is Yvonne, and I'm a first generation of Puerto Rican descent, born and raised in New York City. I am a mother of four children, and so far, a grandma of four. Join us on this journey as we share some of our family's heritage. Hola, my name is Sarah, and I'm a second generation of Puerto Rican descent born and raised in New York City as the first daughter and second oldest in our family. I'm a proud, educated Latina excited to share the many stories of our ancestors. Here we go. I'm Rebecca, the youngest daughter in our family. Originally from the Bronx, New York, I currently live and teach in upstate New York. I have been a writer and poet for over two decades and this project has been a work in progress for many years. I'm thrilled to share our stories with you. In our second episode, we continue our ancestry journey with our great-great-grandmother, Abuela Camila. She lived in the late 1800s in Morovis, Puerto Rico, located in the northern central part of the island. In episode one, we explored the documents that we discovered via the U.S. Census archive and learned that she had lost several children due to disease and unfortunate accidents. Nevertheless, through loss and turmoil, her stoic demeanor showed the world that suffering should not define a woman, it must make them stronger. Through storytelling and research, we put together the pieces of our past and honor those who came before us. Part two of Abuela Camila's life begins now. So pull up a chair, grab your cafecito, and listen to our stories. This episode does contain adult language and adult themes. Ma, real quick, the, so you say that they have farms and they had a lot of crops and animals and they grew their fruits and vegetables. Did this give them some kind of income? And they, it did if they went from in the time and at that time what happened was let's say my grandfather my great grandfather Angel, he made gin right he made rum home rum so what he would do to make extra income after he worked the field he would put it all in a cart with horses like uh you know you've seen the western horse movie. and buggy yeah okay that existed in puerto rico they had mules if they can't afford a horse they had mules or donkeys whatever you want to call it um, burros. Actually, uh, you know, there's a little thing, uh, a little joke that my grandmother was named after a, a burro. A burro? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It was a female burro. It was a female donkey. So there was Madi. a... Madi, the was <laughs> Is that right? That donkey, donkey, that's why. What a story. What a story. But she was you? named after the like, burro because she was the oldest of 16 children. She had to work from day beginning of dawn to the end of night. She learned, she had to cook, clean. She became a parent even when she was a, a child herself. And that explains later on in life why her behavior and her thought process was so severe. Oh, we'll uh, talk about Willa coming in episode yeah, two. And, uh, we might uh, even uh, extend that to two episodes. And bring he will go after he worked the farm in the morning, he will go in his cart with her burro 
and go down the, the carretilla. Remember, there's no roads. There is, it's just dirt road. He'll go from house to house selling his booze. Okay? It, so then it, you have it, people who did butter. They, mantequilla, mantequilla, pan caliente, pan caliente. Uh, piragua, piragua, piragua. And it was, that was the way of commercial uh, and industry. So mom, if you were to put on your, and we always have it as social workers, but your social work lenses, mm -hmm. how would you classify their social economic status as vendors of their crops and fruits and vegetables and stuff? They were, they were entrepreneurs. They okay. were vendors. They were entrepreneurs. Abuela Camila was, knew how to do embroidery, sewing, um, cooking. She would sell her cooking. She would do, you know, sell her, her clothing to her friends. Um, Abuelo Helen did the farm. He knew how to do farming. He knew how to do the rum, but he also knew how to um, take care of shoes and, and men's shoes and create belts and stuff for, for men. So they were entrepreneurs and that's the so, way they survived. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was survival mode, but they, so the reason why I asked is because you see um, generations, like we go back, we see that they had their farms they were vendors, they did their, they created their own materials to sell, right, in Puerto Rico. And then as they made, started to make their way to the United States, many of them became poor. The um, reason, because a lot of the times their economic, they would sell things, it wasn't to sell for a little, little, little money. It wasn't a, a money exchange type of selling and, and, and business. Okay. Dame, yo te doy dos do, do barros de, de licor, dos do galones de, de ron caña, si tú me das una caja de, de quenepa. It was an even trade. An even trade, that kind okay. of. Um, mira, ven, ayúdame con este muerto. Help me with this dead body, you know, bury and clean him up and wash him up. Y yo te, te, te doy dos do libras de arroz, dos libras de habichuela, lo que sea. So it was an even trade. It wasn't, it was not necessarily monetary. Okay. Monetary. That makes sense. Now, when, when the island started getting into the, there was a couple of wars in the island, political wise, that turned that type of economic, uh, uh, business into turmoil because then it started to change the economic more value into monetary. Yeah, you have to also look about uh, how the U.S. sort of influenced what was happening in the 1950s, right? Industrialization, how it industrialization, and and how they tried to, for lack of a better word, change how young children were being taught their religion, the language that they were speaking. I, I've read sort of memoirs about even the foods that they would eat. The, the Americans would come and say, here's this can, una lata de comida, and mm -hmm. eat it. It's better than the food that your mom is cooking. Yeah. And right. it made a lot of people sick because they weren't used to that kind of cuisine or um, produced food, like overly produced food. And so there was this need to reshape the island of Puerto Rico so that it could be more lucrative for the United States. Keep in mind that our Puerto Rican ancestors before my grand great grandparents, there were there was a combination of three race primarily. Okay, Taíno Indian, which is considered cousins of the Arawaks Indians here in America, African, 
Negro slave, and the Spaniards, primarily those three, not including those that also have the mix of Irish, Italians, Germans, Polish, you name it. That's why I drink like a sailor. The the island is composed, Puerto Ricans, primarily um, when we do ancestry honors and, and indigenous celebration is primarily African descent. And that's where you got the cumbia and the, the, the I forgot the name of it. The salsa. The salsa and a lot of those. Um, Bolero. <laughs> exactly. And then the Spaniard is where you get the, the matador, the toro, you know, the cows, this, this, that, and the, the way they dance and the way they, they, they dress and the very flamboyant. And then the, the Taino Indian, which is the rooted nature of the island. And this is why it's hard. It's hard. You can't say, oh, I'm Puerto Rican. You see a Puerto Rican that is very fair skin and green eyes. And then you have a Puerto Rican, it could be a sibling or it could be a, a cousin who's very dark skin and curly hair or have a combination of either or. So when I, when, when I, last time I went to Puerto Rico, um, 1986, and I got to meet some of my aunts, grand aunts and some of my cousins, it's amazing. It was amazing to see how one of my grand uncles, he had 23 kids. And out of 23 kids, imagine I had, my mother had 23 cousins for one uncle only. And when I got to meet them, they was like a rainbow. I, and they were brothers and sisters. But they were a rainbow. I had those with long straight hair, those with curly hair, blonde hair, green eyes, brown hair, you name it. It was such an, a rainbow of, of how mothers. many baby mamas he had. Well, that's a different story. We can't our our listeners can't see uh, the uh, the video part of this uh podcast, but my sister and I are as different as night and day. So that's just one example of how. Yeah, how diverse you are. <laughs> yeah. And you cannot how many baby because... daddies you got, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a I set out. Gene Poole is very strong. But he had, and this granduncle, I just want to make it clear. He had three wives. Yes, three different wives. At the same time? They were all legally all his wives, all three of them at Wait, the same so we, time. Wait, so we now only have three wives. But we have polygamy in our <laughs> Okay. Wow. But but mind blown. One thing that I I praise and 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 I I I, I find it kind of like amazing. He raised all his twenty three kids like he didn't abandon any of them. He was there for each one of them. He built them houses for each of his wives, and they all ate together like nothing. His wives were like. So this thing about polygamy and sister wife, that happened in that time, girl. Like Puerto Rican. And every and every family is not new. But compared to Puerto Rican men and now now a generation, there's a big difference because what we see now is men who have other children from out of wedlock, but they're not even taking care of them. But that's a different story altogether. So I do want to backtrack a little bit, the notion of industry, because if you look at the census, it does say here that Abuela Angelin was a farmer and he had a finca. 
and Abuela Camila, yeah. she was also a farmer at, in a yeah. finca and their children were also paid to help out. And it, it, it was funny because I was having a conversation with our nephew, the oldest one, about, about our podcast and what we're doing. And I told him a little bit about some of the stories that we've learned throughout the years. He was curious to know why they had so many children. And I, and I told him, I said, well, what was there to do in the early 1900s? But to farm the land, you, you, that was how you survived. That was how you put food on the table. That's how you were able to trade goods with other people in your community. And so the mindset was you have kids to help you around. And one of the things that we know is that Abuela Camila, her daughter, Carmen, who is our great grandmother, she was the, one of the oldest children. And her responsibility was to take care of her younger siblings. Is that correct, mom? Yes, that was correct. She was the one who had to work the hardest. I mean, all the older children had the responsibility of the household. Everyone had a responsibility. The younger ones were the ones who actually were able to go and get a, an academic education. But the older ones, you always gonna find a great majority of them, they only had second grade or third grade. They only learned how to write their names and how to read a couple of words at a time. That's it. So on the path of education, I mean, it says here in the census that Abuela Camila was not, didn't have any college or university no. experience, that she did know to a certain extent at the age that this was taken, how to read and write, mm -hmm. but that she did not speak English. No, she didn't speak English. And they were taught by the Catholic church, the nuns, how to read and write. And the way they used to do it was, again, all their, all, they live in this farm. Let's, let's take Abuela Camila and Abuelo Angel. They had a farm. They brought in his, his nieces and nephews, her nieces and nephew, some other extended family. They all lived in the farm. Everybody worked together to take care of the farm. And then once a week, there will be a nun who will come into that little circle family or farm and will teach them how to read and write. So they had somebody from come in. It's not like we do today that we go to school every day. Mm -hmm. They had one person in this, in this case, it would have been a nun because that was the only source of connection at, in, in those poor countries, areas where they will come and teach them how to read and write. The only way they learned how to speak English were the ones out of her children, my grandmother, my grand aunts. They came here when they came to New York. They migrated here. They were forced to learn how to read and write English. Now, my grandmother, I got to say, she never learned how to read English. She understood it. She never learned to speak it. And one of the things that she used to say, and I used to make fun of her all the time was, I don't speak English. I don't speak English. Okay. That was her famous words. And she, I'm telling you, she defended herself very well with those few words. She can understand it a little bit. And I, I don't know if, you know, my, any of you guys, ladies remember one of the most amazing thing of my grandfather, and I'm, I'm gonna just throw him in there. He also never had a formal education, never you know, went up to second grade. And growing up as a child, he would put on 
Chinese movies and he understood the movies, but he didn't know the language. He would put <laughs> Western movies and he would understand the movie and not know the language. So that's how amazing they were that it didn't, they focused not in what was being spoken in a different language, but what their actions were. And they were very in tune. And I think that's what motivated to become a social worker and a behavior, behavior assessor is that they were focused on the behaviors of individuals more than what the person was saying. So I, I, I do have to say that Grandma knew also how to say, Abuela Carmen, you mothered Foca. I was just gonna say There's that. Spanglish. Grandma and grandma from dad's side. I remember catching the other grandma say, mother Foca. <laughs> then giving them a oh. finger. <laughs> but she clearly knew body language and some English words. I mean, she knew the it good words. <laughs> but they knew how to defend themselves. They were in tune with what was happening in the in the island at that time the political warfares, the changes in, po in politics, changes in economics. They were in tune with human development, human, you know, suffrage. They did not speak academically, but they were so in tune. And that's amazing. And that's what I would like to, this podcast, when it gets heard by my future generations, that they treasure that it, it, you know, it's just the humanity of things. It's their way of giving and receiving. And let me tell you, you go to any of, of my family gatherings and we can read you without even you saying a word. I mean, I just went cool. to a family gathering this summer. That's a brujería shit, mom. Stop oh, it. it's not brujería. Brujería is <laughs> <laughs> not witchcraft. <laughs> Is it's it's the way we are. We're so in tune with the, the humanity aspect of individuals that we can tell when somebody is trying to be a con artist or be phony. Uh, we can read it right through the by their movements and their eye 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 contacts and and how they behave and and how they they do the gesture. So it's it's a common thing that I got and I say I got that from my great grandmother. Because she would look at you and you say, Nena, ¿y qué te pasa? <laughs> like my great grandmother, I remember her telling my mother when she got pregnant the second time. My mother went to Puerto Rico to, to give birth and she saw Abuela Camila and she said, Nena, tú te preña. <laughs> <laughs> and my mother told me that she was like stunned because nobody knew her secret. Nobody knew that she had become pregnant again. And Abuela Camila just saw her from the first glance, mm -hmm. knew straight out that she was pregnant that's again. Spiritu. I stay away from people like that. <laughs> so that's a, that's a read. <laughs> Those are very in tune individuals that although they didn't have, they were very in tuned to human, the humanity of things. From the twins, the set of twins that Abuela Camila had from the four sets of twins, the only surviving set of twins was Tia Socorro and Tia Angie. And Tia Angie just passed away this year. Uh, she died at the age of 98, I want to say. Holy oh. crap, holy. Yeah, almost 98, I want to say. I want those jeans. Okay. Uh, 
and Tia Socorro passed away a number of years ago. They were the only set of twins. They were not identical twins. They were fraternal twins. And they look like night and day. And Sarai, they were my favorite aunts, grand aunts, because Abuela, uh, uh, Tia, Tia Angie was very rigid and very militant. And she was like on point, very controlling female. And she'll tell you straight how it was. She had a doctor's degree in a uh, fashion industry. Uh, and she got that at the age of, of in her late 60s. Okay, a, a, a doctoral degree in fashion. She was an entrepreneur. She was one, the first person to come to the United States. And through her, my grandmother came and then her sister and her other siblings. Now, did she, Abuela Camila ever come to the United States? She visited a couple of times, but she okay. never lived. She always loved the island of Puerto Rico. Yeah, that was she my next question. Did a couple of times Spain, but she kind of like detested the Spaniards. This is her own thing because she felt like they were too one-sided, especially because of what happened in her wedding. She felt like she was ostracized from that side of the family. So she kept at, at a distance with that side of the family, except for some cousins that, you know, she helped come back and migrate into Puerto Rico and actually lived in, in the finca with her and raised their children with her children. But she kept away. She kept the distance and, and just focused on her own, raising her own. Now, Mom, one question. I have a question. Go ahead, sorry. Go, go, go. No, my question is based on genetics. So research has shown that close relatives who have children, there tends to be some genetic mutations that cause abnormalities. Were there any sort of children that Abuela Camila had that were affected by her having relations with a, a first cousin? Not if you look at it as a, as a general broad stripe, no. Had there been some mutation in, in a psychological aspect, maybe. Like any family, and, and uh, I'm, I don't care what ethnic group you are from, it doesn't matter. Every family has their, their demons and their angels. Um, every family has a, this, the functional and the dysfunctional. Every family has a criminal. I can name a, I can name a, a few. Pastor, <laughs> a, lawyer, a nurse, a doctor, a cop, you name it. What the main, the main thing is, if you wanna go through all the way down to the Bible, who was no. <laughs> okay we're not we're not going that far back in history okay, so <laughs> this is a limited podcast okay so, so so you you had mentioned that one of uh well camila's sets of twins had had got access to alcohol one of them died of alcohol poisoning and one had sort brain of uh, brain damage was that the one who was caged in the barn yes Dio Jean was um and we call him Dio Jean because everybody knew Jean uh, since a child, since that thing, that mishap happened, everybody in town knew who he was. Everybody cared. That's another thing. When in Puerto Rico in the 19th, early 19th century, it was community. Community raised century. a child. It wasn't, it wasn't, oh, you belong to the Rodriguez family or you belong to this other family or you belong to that. No, you lived in the town. We are part, you're part of the community and the community raised the children. It wasn't just the parents. And that's where you get the upbringing and the way they disciplined. 
if, some, if a child did something wrong, teacher would slap you, your neighbor would slap you. And when you got home, you got whipped by both parents, not by one, okay? That was, the, that was the culture. That was the way they disciplined. If you did something wrong when you were away from your parents, believe me or not, by the time you got home, your parents knew because they would snitch on you. You the, the that's where you get that that phrase. Vecina, oye, vecina, tú viste esto? Oye, vecina, tú no viste fulano que lo que hizo allá en la escuela? Tú no viste que que color mango de allá del árbol? Ven acá, pero qué mochinchera. Qué mochinchera. And believe they had no phones. It was running. It was the running of feet. They got on a horse. They <laughs> in la plaza. You know when they went to the plaza to buy or exchange goods. Mira, nena, fulana, yo te vi tu, tu hijo los otros días que estaba encima de la, que, de la otra muchachita de, aquel, de, de aquella familia. O mira, tú viste, viste pelencejo, se robó, la, la, robó el banco aquí en, en, la, en la placita. Tweets take on a whole different level in the early 20th century. <laughs> for real. I would have been mad skinny because I would have been tweeting all through Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever happened to um, her son? So... Eugene, he, he lived until the age of 60, close to 60, I would say late 50s. And Eugene, he, unfortunately, because of his disability, and again, we're living in the early 19th century, they didn't 20th believe- 20th century, Ma, 20th century. Oh, well, 20th century. They didn't believe in institutionalizing anybody. We, we, were, we were believers that we took care of our own kids, our own family members. And whether it meant a sacrifice or not, or maybe harsh way of, of taking care of them, they took care of their loved ones, no matter whichever way they can. And one of the things with Eugene was they had to keep him in, in like in a cage, not because they treated him like an animal, because it was for his own safety. Eugene would just wander away in the roads. And as the island of Puerto Rico became more populated and more industrialized, it was, someone was gonna hurt him. And eventually that's what ended his life. He got hit by a car because he didn't speak. He would, <laughs> that's the way he spoke. It was a, a macho from that side. <laughs> It was a, it was, he had a lot of the slogans. He knew a lot of the rudest slogans from the Taino Indian. And it shouldn't even be laughing, but it reminds me of Camacho. <laughs> well, he, that, that you see a lot in a lot of Puerto Rican families. That's a common say, every family has the, those that are high functional, those are low functional. Yeah, but that was, that was not from birth. That was, from ingesting. Right, from ingesting Ooh. alcohol. Yeah, and, and you know, he never went to school. They kept him, everybody took care of him. Everybody fed him, but he never learned how to take a shower. He never learned how to dress for himself. He never, it was like a wild animal. And unfortunately, um, he was under, once Abuela Camila passed away, his older brother took custody of him. And he was kept in the family. He was never placed in an institution, never evaluated. That's one thing. They never trusted doctors. Anybody that came to the island with a degree or academia was not trusted. They believe in home remedies. So if you had the mums, 
they wouldn't take you to the doctor. They would take you to the curandera and make you uh, some home remedy, a tea or some herbs and try to heal you that way. That is the ancestry way of healing. And, uh, and to some degree, I still practice that. Sometimes yeah, no, I mean, you've given me a bottle of Tricofero. <laughs> Tricofero yeah, was name well, brand. Was that that. Was the hair falling and everything. It goes to say that even back then, there were people who thought they were researchers. <laughs> yeah, and then you know what? It was life who, was, who taught them how to do the research through life experience. They pass it on from one generation to another. And that's how they heal. That's how they work. That's how they function. So what are some of the, what are some of the home remedies that, that you learned from Abuela Camila passed on from grandma? Um, ginger tea, which is good for when you have uh, body aches and fever and, and like a sore throat. Chamomile tea, which is good when you have an upset stomach or you cannot sleep, insomnia. Boiling some lettuce is good to take away the gases if you're full of gas and you know, you're gassy. Uh, you pull down the letter. So those are those are remedies that. What about what about it? Vico rub. Oh, Vicks Vaporu is the best. <laughs> that vaporu, is baby. you gotta throw the accent in there. Vaporu. <laughs> what the hell is Vaporu? Vicks. Move on, Vicks. <laughs> Vicks Vaporu. That's my that's my buddy. <laughs> um, or Confle, Confle is cereal. They call everything Confle. <laughs> oh, my my favorite thing is um. Is that drinking a cup of coffee before bed? Yeah, that is. A I'll never sleep. I can't do that. Dad <laughs> well, does if, that. Yeah, dad if does you're that. in Puerto Rico, you get used to drinking coffee. El cafecito. El cafecito, nice, dark with no milk, straight. Yo, the coffee in Puerto Rico will give you the shit early in the morning and <laughs> no, right before bed. I'm cleansing. just saying. <laughs> <laughs> coffee. Colon <laughs> cleansing, Nina. But you know, there's some. Whenever somebody gets sick, one of my and I still practice that. When somebody is sick for whatever you know, cold or anything, the best remedy is some homemade chicken soup. Fresh kills chicken soup, where you crush the bones and boil it down. I know Becky, you're vegetarian, but hey, you can't front that. Um, on, if there's on that. What's the song that? I forgot that one. <laughs> that was the song mom used to sing to us when we would be crying because we got her. Okay, you look like Ephraim right there. <laughs> so Ephraim is our is is my older brother and Sarah's younger brother. He's the my second boy. Brother. Um, so going what, back to Abuela Camila, she yeah. was she taught her children how to how to prepare for life, and I would always honor that from her. She didn't pamper her children. She didn't spoil her children. She said it how it was. She was very rigid, very disciplined in the sense that if you use a cup, you wash that cup. If you wore those clothes, you have the responsibility to take care of your own laundry. She was very rigid in her way of raising children. She was also very rigid in discipline. She wasn't the hitter. 
She never used corporal punishment as, as a way of hitting, which was interesting because unlike Abuela Calme, she- Is there a reason why she didn't, she didn't like hitting she, her kids? She, she believed in talking to the child for whatever wrong they did. She always believed in that verbal correction. And she would give you that stern look, like that look would say, you, you are in deep trouble. Just the look alone, when she stared at you, you knew that you're, she might not touch you physically, but you knew you had messed up really bad. Um, Becky, we, we've all been to that stair with mom. Okay, so I learned that we, we, would start, we would start crying hysterically because we knew. <laughs> and, and no touching. But, you know, she did believe that if you do the crime, you pay the, you know, you pay the time. So let's say we had an uncle, Tio Toño, he's still a devil in disguise. Is that, um, is that, a, is that Abuela Camila's son? Yeah, okay. one of the younger sons. And he, you know, he always was a mischief. And he did a lot of, he's one of the criminals of the family, which should not be mentioned. But anyway, growing up, he did a lot of wrong. And it came to a point where Abuela Camila disowned him. And she didn't say it out loud, but she she disowned him and she kind of like didn't want to mention him, never visited him when she came to New York. She just didn't want to deal with him. Yotonio was the one who, while his older brother went to war, he impregnated the wife of his brother. Whoa. Okay. And... That was his oldest brother. He was a year younger than Abuela Carmen. And he was the one who had achieved the most because he was the one who took, in, in regarding to military, he was the one who followed his father's steps because Abuelo Helene was in the military, was in the, in the armed forces. And his brother was in the armed forces as well. So this uncle, grand uncle of mine, he served and he had gone to Spain and he left his, he had got married. And shortly after he got married, he, he was deported to Spain and he served over there and he came back to the island. And on the day that he came back from the island, he had spent over a year in, in, in war. And when he came back, the day that he was returning back home, Abuela Camila did a banquet, typical Puerto Rican, you know, we're celebrating the welcoming, welcome back home of a family member or the family or the whole pueblo, you know, in that vicinity all got together. There was cooking. There were, you know, they made it a big, this was a big thing, a big event for the family. And Abuela Camila wanted everything set accordingly. And when she had not seen his wife for a while. And the wife lived in another pueblo of her, her daughter-in-law in another pueblo. And the day of the- Just home, to clarify, a pueblo is a town, or is what you call town, yeah. a town it's in Puerto town. Rico. Town. And um, so Abuela Camila didn't see her daughter-in-law for a number of months. And all of a sudden, this is the home welcoming party event that she had made for her son and in comes the wife nine months pregnant 
you are not the father. And Sorry, I had to throw that in. It there. was a shock <laughs> for the entire family. Uh, it was a shock to the to Abuela Camila. And the first thing she did, and this is where I say her instincts were on point, she looked to her younger son, Tony, Antonio, and she said, why did you do this? Without nobody telling her anything. She knew that it was him who got her pregnant. And her oldest son, I forget what was his name, must have been another Jose. Um, he went to, he, he, he sat down, had the meal, didn't say a word, had a smile on his face, finished his meal. And just when they were about to cut a pastel or, you know, bizcocho, the cake that Abuela Camila had made his favorite cake, he said, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And, you know, at that time, the bathroom was a latrine outside the house, a uh, number of feet away from the house. And he didn't come back. And when my grandmother and her sisters went to look for him, hey, what happened? Mamo ira buscala, whoever Jose was his name, they found him dead in the latrine. He had committed suicide. And it was very tragic. And since that moment on, Abuela Camila never, never forgave her son, the younger one doing such an atrocity but again typical Puerto Rican family is it is they, it possible that he was suffering from some form of PTSD after having come back from, from the war I yeah. mean that could have been a combination it could be a combination but just the fact that you leave for war with a you know you leave your new newlywed wife and then you come over a year later and you find her pregnant it's disheartening and to find out that it was your own brother who pregnated her, that's even worse. So it was a combination of things. But since that moment on, instead of the family incarcerating Teotonio or getting help for him, what they did was they covered it up. They hide it. It became the secret of, of the family. Did she end up keeping the baby, even so though her husband had had kept the baby, but she was kind of ostracized by the family because of the hardship that she created for the family. Did Abuela Camila ever step in to help her raise the, the she baby? Helped. Abuela Camila helped, but she kept at a distance. She yeah. did it for the child. She didn't do it. She couldn't, she never forgot the loss of her son, that her son committed suicide because of that atrocity. And she never spoke about it. She was very quiet. Abuela Camila, to the, the last day that we could remember, she never mentioned that at all. And it was it became a taboo. And this is one of the things about family taboos. You don't talk about it until another incident does occur. And then we keep it hush-hush. Nowadays, in this generation, we go seek a doctor. We, we get the FBI, the CIA. Therapy. <laughs> Therapy. Well, just just to just to lighten the mood a little bit, Mom. I know that you said that the last time you recall seeing Abuela Camila was when you were six years old. Mm -hmm. Is there like a a memory, a, a found memory that sticks with you constantly of your grandmother? She was always a type oh, of your great grandmother. My great grandma. She will always tap me in my head, and she said, "Nena, cuídate, cuídate." 
Like she was always warning all every every female to, to take care of themselves. And this is where the the elagio or the refrán or what they call the the phrase or the saying, cierra abajo y abre arriba. Whoa. <laughs> okay. This is where my grandmother used to tell me the same thing. Ay, nena, cuando tú seas adulta, cierra abajo y abre arriba. And I never understood what she meant until, you know, after I got married. I said, ma, why, why are you saying? Because you got to close your legs. You can't open your legs for everybody. You got to keep them closed. So the translation of that is close your legs, open your mind. Open your mind, yeah. That means, you know, think before you do any action of that's going to discredit. Is, is there a reason why she was so sort of like attentive to female descendants? In in that time frame, when she raised, she had a lot of females. A lot of her children were mostly females. Um, I think she had six, six boys, six males and, and 10 females because there was a lot of sexual abuse. There was a lot of um, rape among Puerto Rican history, point blank. There was a lot of atrocities being seen and being witnessed and, you know, experienced. And those are secrets. Those are things that we didn't talk about. If a woman was assaulted, if a woman was raped, it wasn't talked about. You spoke to your mom and that's it. And you made, you sent out the alert to the other females. Abuela Camila, um, Abuela Carmen, grandma, uh, she was raped and she didn't tell anybody but her mother. She didn't tell her sisters neither. That was a, a, a life secret that she held. And the only reason why she shared that with me was because, you know, she wanted me to watch out. If you're going to go, and I remember that the first time that she mentioned anything about rape at all was when I was starting to look for college. She said, no, if you go away from home, somebody's going to hurt you. And I said, but what do you mean somebody's going to hurt me? Nina, porque los hombres son bárbaro. And then I kept on asking her, but what do you mean men are barbaric? What do you mean men are evil? What do you mean, you know, and that type of me asking, that's when she disclosed that she herself was raped. And the guy who raped her was an old man who used to sell ribbons, vendiendo cinta. And she never, she, she felt like, so shame that she couldn't share that with anybody. Yeah. She didn't even tell my mother or my aunt. I think that, that was, that's a common sort of common action. Practice. It's yeah. common practice. And it's this idea that if you, you know, literature shows us this, history shows us this, especially for women, if you say something that you're going to be sort of scarred you, and marred and the notion of like the scarlet letter is going to be and then your family suffers, right? Especially in, in his, a lot of Hispanic cultures, the idea of giving yourself to somebody before marriage, so out of wedlock, even is, that is a slap in the face to your parents, to your relatives. Mm-hmm. The sense of purity is attached to it. And it's it's a, a total misconception. And unfortunately, things, some things have not changed in, in this, exactly. in our current time. Yeah. And those are just the family secrets that I say that is, shoved under the rug and they never spoke about it my mother had a child out of wedlock at a very young age that was a huge dishonor for the family at that time yeah and we'll talk about abuela, abuela Nemi in our 
future episodes of the podcast but i do want to end on a high note like i know that abuela camila lived for a very long time into her 90s do you know what what did she pass from like what did she die from uh she died a natural cause she was already of age but she was a lady who never gained weight never had any medical ailments we didn't get that gene never you know never got tired she worked from dawn all the way to the even at her age she lived by herself even I at that gene uh, <laughs> Jesus. Died, she lived by herself she fenced for herself she still maintained part of her farm a lot of the farm she sold out um she maintained a lot of the farm she maintained her house she was never in a nursing home she never needed assistance in picking up bags of garbage or you know cooking nothing she always fenced for herself until the day she died you never heard her complain about any headaches or body ache or arthritis or anything we didn't get that gene of not complaining huh i didn't get that gene (laughs) i'm always complaining (laughs) but it's amazing how these women you know and and she's only one out of i know this other woman out there who at that time with no medical attention like we have today they they had such a hardship of life but yet physically mentally and and emotionally they were so put together and so strong and remain strong until the day they passed Music for our podcast was performed by our dad, Hector. We'd like to thank our parents for their support and our extended family for answering our questions and helping us learn about our ancestors. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to receive updates, learn facts, and see pictures of our family. Visit our website, cuentameapodcast.com to hear past episodes and to see some of the documents we found about our relatives. We hope you will tune in to the next episode of Cuentame. Tell me their story.